Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. Or maybe it's not morning for you at all. Maybe it's afternoon or evening. Doesn't really matter. It's good to be back with you. This is our daily devotional for Tuesday, February 7th. 2024, and I'm delighted to have this time with you, and I hope that it finds you doing very well whenever you happen to find this. I'm just excited to have this time together, and I pray that it is a blessing to you. Where do we find ourselves? If you're brand new here, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. You are coming in only a few chapters away from when we're done, but if this is your first time watching with us and you're going to stick around for a while, there's 28 chapters in Acts. We're in chapter 20, but that doesn't mean that we'll be done in the next couple of days. If you catch my drift, um, well, if you're new, you probably don't, but those of you that are here probably do. It takes us a while, especially with a book like the book of Acts. Why? Because so many things are foundational. So many things are fundamental that are revealed in the book of Acts. I've referred to it as the genesis of the New Testament, right? So many foundational principles, doctrines, ideas, philosophies, matters of theology, why we do what we do, why the church is structured as it is, what God has revealed about how the church should function, yes, but also things like how pastors should function. We talked about that yesterday. Um, we're in Acts chapter 20, and we're dealing with Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders, and Paul shines a, a pretty bright spotlight on what pastors ought to be doing, and I know it's awkward. I are one. I get that. But nevertheless, I, I got to talk about it because as we talked about yesterday, Paul says that he can leave the Ephesian elders. He can move on uh, in his ministry. He's been compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, right? He's, he's, he's going there. Um, and he can do this, uh, to use his terminology, with, with clean hands. He's talking about a clean conscience there, with, with the blood of no man on his hands because he has preached the full will of God. Talked about this yesterday. Paul was able to preach certain things I'm unable to preach because God is not breathing out his word through me. Okay, this section that we're reading, it's Paul's conversation with the Ephesian elders, but it is God breathing out his word through Paul, okay? Luke is the one that's writing it down. However, as a pastor, this means that my job is not to reveal further more of God's word because God's word is complete. Instead, it means my calling as a pastor is to preach the full counsel of God's word. Y'all, there's a reason we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, making our way through the Bible. We happen to be in Acts right now. Um, two days ago, Sunday morning, we finished the book of Philippians, and I forgot to tell you where we're going next. I forgot. I'll give you a hint. It's not in the New Testament. That's all the hint you get. You're going to have to wait until Sunday morning. Anyway, but... We're going to start chapter by chapter, verse by verse through another book of the Bible because that's the way you preach the whole counsel of God's word, right? There's terminology for it, lectio continua, right? That's the, that's the Latin term for it. But really, it's just the basic principles of exegetical preaching. That preaching is not about a platform that I have or a hobby horse or anything like that. My job as a pastor is to preach the full counsel of God's word. And the only way I'll ever have any peace, besides which I'm going to be judged for this, but the only way I'll ever have peace with myself is, is knowing that I've done that. Even the things that are all like 
this conversation right now. But that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 20. Paul gives them this, this statement about how his, his conscience is clean in effect is really what he's getting at there to use more modern terminology. He's got a clean conscience. Um, then he gives them this warning about wolves that are coming. And now what we come to today is the very end of his time with the Ephesian elders. Um, and yes, there, it, there's this thing going on where we talked about it Sunday with the end to the letter to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. Um, we talked about it in yesterday's devotional. Here, as Paul is dealing with the Ephesian elders, um, and, and we know, well, we read it yesterday. Verse 25, now I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul knows that this is it. So of all the things he could focus on, what does he focus on? Well, he focuses on telling them what a pastor, what a preacher ought to be. He gives them the warning. That's where we ended yesterday. And where we pick up today, we find even more things of grand importance, grand importance. So let's pray and then we'll dig in. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us and we pray that you would be with us in it. Help us to understand. Help us to realize that we're talking about Paul, yes, a, a human being, a man called by you. The Ephesian elders, yes, elders in time and space for Ephesus, all of these things are true. But as we read this discourse, we see so much of value, so much importance, because though this is Paul speaking, it's your heart that's on display, Father. Don't let us miss that. Instead, let us be transformed by it. The things of import to you, well, that they would be of grand importance to us. We can't do this on our own. We need your help. So please guide us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're picking up where we left off yesterday. We made it through verse 31, where Paul, again, he's been given these warnings to them. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Verse 32, where we pick up. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Time out. Pause right there. Okay. Even in this verse, remember I, I, I just said a couple of minutes ago, so many principles are revealed. Think about what Paul has just said. Think about to whom and to what he has committed these elders who he's already said, you're never going to see me again. Time for me to go. I got to get going. Um, and, and they're never going to see him again. Of all the, the things he could commit them to, realize, let's talk about what he did not commit them to. And to use that term, commit them to, that, that's a, a setting aside for, a saying this should be the thing that you trust in. He didn't commit them to any of their abilities, right? He didn't commit them to any of their resources. Was there an endowment at this point at the church in Ephesus? Probably not. That's a modern advent, okay? He didn't commit them to, you know, their financial strength. He didn't even commit them to themselves. Not really. Though elders are of vast importance. Go back, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 15. We know that this is how God set up the church to work. 
That's why I'm a Presbyterian, right? But nevertheless, it's, it's not that that he committed them to. It's certainly not their feelings. It's certainly not their level of commitment. No, he commits them to two things. The first is to someone, namely to God. And the second is that thing which can build them up and give them an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. What does he commit them to? He commits them to God. That one's obvious. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is the one who saves through Jesus Christ alone. And then he commits them to, using his word, to the word of grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. Now, the question is, what is the word of grace? I'm going to suggest to you that, that this is pointing to two realities. The first is very obvious. It's the word of God. Okay, the, the word of grace is the word of God here, the revealed scriptures. Y'all, what do you think Paul's been preaching? You know, definitely he has been revealing to them as God inspired, as God breathed out through him. There's no doubt about that. But what's the basis of his teaching? Go back, right? It doesn't matter where you go in the, you know, the, the technical term is the Pauline corpus, Corpus means body, the, the body of Paul's work. Take any book that Paul uses. And what you see throughout is that he's referring to the scriptures. As he goes around preaching, he's citing the scriptures. Okay, He commits them to God's word. Why? Because of this inheritance that it brings. Now, you might say, well, you know, it's not really the Bible that gives you an inheritance. It's Jesus. It's it's belonging to Jesus. And y'all remember that this harkens back to Hebrews chapter two, where the author of Hebrews says, we need to pay more careful attention to what we've received so that we do not drift away. And then he drops down and he says, how can we, how can we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And the author of Hebrews in chapter 2, this great salvation he's talking about is the word of God. The author of Hebrews has no problem putting the Bible in terms of the revealed word of God on the same level as the gospel because you can't separate the two. You can't. Now, I realize that that's problematic. It's really problematic given the uh, the current scope of American Christianity. Why do I say this? Because you got a whole lot of people out there that claim to follow Jesus that do not believe in his word. You've got scores, scores of churches out there that claim to be churches that worship Jesus Christ. And they make a mockery of his word. Y'all hear me on this. And I said this this past Wednesday night, if you're around this Wednesday, 645. But I said this this past Wednesday night, this idea that you can be down with Jesus, you know, you and Jesus, you can be like that, but you don't have any use for his word. Y'all, if you don't have any use for the word of God, then you have no use for God, the word, the logos. Jesus, God the Son, who was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You, you can't take one without the other because the Bible is the revelation of who God is and how we are saved. 
Not to mention all the other things that the Bible is like, you know, take for instance, we're told that the Bible is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. As we go into spiritual warfare, the Holy Spirit uses God's word. It's the same idea we get from the psalmist who talks about hiding God's word in his heart so that he would not sin against God, okay? And so of all the things that Paul could commit the Ephesian elders to, and, and, and it's the Ephesian elders, yes, but really as the elders, he's committing the whole church in Ephesus to them, right? First, God makes total sense, right? But second, God's word. That's got to be the focus. That's got to be the, the, the central point of any church. Because, and you say, well, what about Jesus? Well, y'all, you can't have, if you don't have God's word as a central focus, then Jesus can also be the central focus. And really and truly, if Jesus is your central focus, then you're going to have God's word as your central focus too. They, they go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. And again, there's another very practical reason, and it's what we've read here. Now I commit you to God, verse 32, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, right? It's this building up that God uses his word for. It's this securing an inheritance. And no, this is not about earning your salvation. It's not this ongoing thing where if you don't read your Bible like you should, you lose your salvation. That is not what Paul is talking about. Mainly because while the first interpretation of the word of grace is the obvious, talking about the word of God, this word of grace, Paul makes the gospel synonymous with the word of God. I think that's the second thing this is pointing to. He's committing them unto the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as we are informed by the scriptures alone. Oh. So, of all the things he could commit them to, these two make wonderful sense. And then he goes on and he gets personal again, right? He says, I'm committing you unto these. And then he says in verse 33, I have not coveted uh, uh, excuse me, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus has, has himself has said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, why this? You know, we, we don't exactly know why Paul keeps reverting back to, to, to really to himself and how he lived out his ministry. We've seen one aspect of this, right? That he's saying, you need to look to the example that I left behind. In other words, you need to realize that, that, that this, this is why I've been doing what I've been doing. And he, and he goes back to Jesus' own words there. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But I think there's another reason that Paul switches back to focusing on himself here. And I think it really has to do with what we got to the last time. Remember what he's warned them of. He's warned them of the wolves that are coming. Those that will come from the outside and those that will come from the inside. Again, Go back to verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. One of the ways we know that they would do this 
is by attacking Paul. You know, if you want to attack Paul's message, what's the oldest trick in the book? And my daughter is doing philosophy and debate and all these different things. She has a big debate coming up tomorrow by the time this airs, and, and I'm going to be there for it. Very, very important to me as a father to be there for her. Um, big thing in her life. But they learn all of these different tactics and all of these different fallacies. One of those, that, like the oldest trick in the book, is the ad hominem fallacy. You know what ad hominem is? Is to the man, right? In other words, hominem man. An ad hominem argument is you can't win your argument based on facts, so you attack the person that you are debating. You know, it's almost like somebody presents this very skilled argument about why they believe X as opposed to why you believe A, et cetera, et cetera. And you ought to believe what they believe. And then instead of actually addressing the things that they've said, you say something like, well, your face is stupid and so are you. Yeah. Okay. That, that has nothing to do with the logical facts being presented. It's an ad hominem argument. I think that Paul knows that these wolves that are coming are going not only to attack what he's been teaching and preaching, he knows that they're going to attack him personally. Now, in absentia, right? They're going to talk all sorts of smack about who Paul was, why Paul did what he did. And I think this is why Paul does this here. He says, this was my motivation while I was with you. He doesn't say, and there's going to be people that question it. He doesn't have to. He again brings them back to why he did what he did in this effort to leave the example for them. And so, y'all, of all the things he could say, this is what he said. And finally, verse 36, when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Y'all, of all the ways that it could go, this is the best way. This is the best way by far. And it doesn't always go this way. You know, it could have gone very differently. It could have gone that the Ephesian elders were upset that Paul didn't come back to them. It could have gone to accusations. Oh, we know why you're really going. It could have gone to accusations there. Well, when you were here, maybe you should have done this and you should have done that. And, you know, we were better off before you got here or yeah, fill in the blank. But what we see here is a beautiful picture of, of loving appreciation. And what we see is real sorrow. Not that Paul is going, but they're not going to see him again. Not that Paul is following what the Holy Spirit is telling him to do, but because they're sorrowful that he's departing. And y'all, while we've heard Paul's side of the story, right, about what he did and why he did it, you know, if you are tempted to say, well, yeah, but everybody's going to blow themselves up. Everybody's going to say that they did all the right things. Don't take Paul's word for it. Take the Ephesian elders' words for it. He leaves to tears and to gratitude. And so if you have any doubt about what Paul actually did in his ministry there, it's affirmed here by the Ephesian elders. Again, y'all, this is specific. It's in time and space. It shows us something that occurred, right? It's the history of what took place. But it is so important for you and me today. So important because this shows what the stuff of ministry really ought to be 
in terms of pastoral ministry, yes, but doesn't it also point to this deeper side of what Christian relationship should be? Living lives that are mutually beneficial, cherishing one another, enjoying one another, but also supporting one another. So I believe it does. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us in this section of your word that that for a pastor, for me, is, is, is a little bit awkward, but is so beautiful. And it shows us so much about what really matters, what we really need to be hanging on to, what we really need to be having as, as our central focus, which is trusting in you and trusting in your word, committing ourselves to it, even as Paul committed the Ephesian elders to you and to your word. Work in our hearts that we would be serious about these things, Father. And we thank you for Paul's example. We praise you for that sweet fellowship that existed then because we know it points to the sweet fellowship that can exist now. And all, Father, may it be so. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. But again, these are available all day, so take your time. Um, Lord willing, we will see you then. Until then, have a happy Tuesday.